The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Exodus 2, 1 through 10. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young woman walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Mary Claire, for reading that passage for us this morning. Hey, everybody. Uh, Good to be with you. Good to see you. I have a couple of quick things. I know it's been an announcement heavy. There's a lot going on right now. So I'm going to do these quickly. Um, It's volunteer season. We're going to be leaning in hard for volunteers for everything. If if you're new at... at, um, Cool Springs, uh, we, we are a church that it, it has a, a lot of volunteer uh, people making things happen. A lot of that went away when COVID happened. We're getting that thing back and up, back up and running again. Uh, so th- the way to think about it is not should I volunteer, but where should I volunteer? Because uh, we need everybody uh, in the rotation, particularly uh, when it comes to kids ministry. Uh, we're going to be pressing in on that. Our kids ministry is relaunching some uh, some of the programming, we're, we're getting back to some, partially to where we were before COVID with an eye toward getting back there. But if you remember that ministry, that's a ministry that just needs the most volunteers of any other ministry in this church by a lot. Uh, and the reason we need a lot is, one, because we have a lot of kids. Two, um, we, want, we have uh, a pretty robust kids program. And three, we want, our rotation, we want our kids ministry volunteer rotation to make it possible for you to be in church too. Uh, and so if we only have like the bare core team, uh, they'll miss a, a lot of Sundays in order to be there and to accommodate. We, we, you know, we've had, I think, 14 babies born during COVID uh, in this congregation. Um, and, uh, and that number's probably low. I don't know. I could be wrong on that, but, uh, Melanie's saying yes. Um, so with that, uh, it's, it's very important. So Christina 
One of her responsibilities is not only to recruit volunteers, but is to train and vet volunteers because our church puts a very high premium and a very necessary uh, emphasis on safety. And so there are things that we do uh, in order to serve in kids' ministry where we need you in there. We also need to background check you. We also need you to go to some training. We also need you to re-up some of that stuff every so often. And for most of our kids' ministry volunteers, it's time to re-up a lot of that stuff because we've been dormant for a year. Um, but it's, it's a, it, hear me when I say it's a non-negotiable part of serving in kids' ministry is we need to go through that process for the safety of all of the kids here. And so, if you are in that process, you've been communicating with Christina, she's emailed you, there are steps that you need to go through. If you're somebody who's completed all those steps, awesome. If you're somebody who's completed most of those steps, you can go to Christina today and probably finish that process. She has a QR code that you can scan. Uh, We're making just good use of QR codes. They are ugly. They offend all of my aesthetic sensibilities, and they do so much. Um, And so anyway, she has a QR code that can help you finish that process. But uh, but help, you know, if if you're in that kids' ministry thing, um, have mercy on us for pressing. Uh, Be gracious toward us because it's very important that it's a very safe environment over there. um, And it's something that we just won't give on. uh, But we need everybody to to go through that process. It's painless. Um, It shouldn't take very long. Uh, And so so that's an appeal I'm making now. We'll also follow up and be following up with this as well. Uh, But it's, it's, uh, it's such a beautiful gift that the Lord has given us. You know, each location at Christ Prez has a little bit of a different vibe, and ours is the, is, the, is the one where we have just kids everywhere, everywhere. It's the old woman who lived in a shoe kind of situation um, here, and it's awesome, and I love it, and I wouldn't have it any other way, uh, but uh, it means that we need an army of volunteers. Speaking of QR codes, uh, there's one on the back of your bulletin. We mentioned it at the beginning of the service, but in case you weren't here, this is going to take over the black book. Um, so you can register your attendance by just scanning this QR code. I did it over there in my seat. It took 90 seconds uh, to fill it out. Uh, so this is the way of the future. It's the way we're going henceforth. Only one person per family, if you came with other people, needs to do it because you can fill it out and include the names of the other people who are with you in there. Uh, but it only takes a second to do. Last thing. You ready? This is only for men. So women, whatever you want to do for the next... 20 seconds is up to you, men. May 7th, this Friday, fire pit, my house. Information is in the Cool Springs email that you should have received. If you're not on that list, uh, let us know. I think you can sign up to be on the list on that QR code on the back. You see that everything's full circle? Um, But that's going to be this Friday at my house, uh, and it'll be fun. Okay, that's it. That's all I've got for announcements. Let's get into the word of the Lord. Moses, what a story. I love Moses. Okay, when I was in college, I had, I had the good fortune of being a college student the year that Shawshank Redemption, Tombstone, Braveheart, Schindler's List, Forrest Gump, they all came out within about 18 months of each other. The world has never seen a cinematic era like that. I remember seeing Shawshank Redemption on the big screen, not knowing anything really about it. I'd seen a preview for it, uh, but I I didn't know anything about it. 
And I remember when the credits rolled for that movie, just being floored by how perfect of a movie it is. In seminary, they say, don't talk about rated R movies in the pulpit. Um, it has a lot of bad language. It, for, for its art form, for the art form of cinema, it, it's a near-perfect movie. But one of the reasons that that movie is so powerful is because how it ends with a surprise that you didn't see coming, and yet you realize it was happening the whole time. And that's the joy of it, is you learn a secret. You're let in on a secret, and it's a big secret, right? The book of Exodus has this quality. It has the quality that it lets us in on a secret, a secret that is happening. Something is happening. It's been happening the whole time, and yet the people in the moment couldn't really have known it, but God was at work. He was at work even if people couldn't see it, and I know for myself, and I imagine for you, that if we could really believe that God is at work even if I can't see it, it would comfort us in so many ways. To know, okay, there are things I just can't, I can't see a, a good, plausible ending to this thing that, has, that is burdening my heart. But the Lord knows. The Lord knows what he's doing. And not only does he know what he's doing, he's masterful in the way he does things. And so I'm excited to get into this passage because it's, it, it lets us into the story. It's also a picture of the gospel in miniature. Uh, but it's... You know, I love the Bible. I love the Bible. And today is one of the, is a great example of why I love the Bible, is because it's a masterpiece. Um, where we're going, three, three overarching kind of thought pegs, points, is uh, what led up to the moment that we just read about. That's one. What's happening in the moment that we just read about. And then what happens as a result of the moment that we just read about. So past, present, and future, if you want to use those as your as your ways of thinking about these categories. What led up to the moment in the passage that we just read about where a mother takes her baby, makes a basket, full of, uh, makes a basket of reeds, coats it in pitch, and puts her baby afloat on the, on the Nile River? What happens leading up to that moment? So the book of Genesis, which comes right before Exodus, so it's Exodus, no, it's, it's Genesis, <laughs> Exodus. I'm embarrassed man. All right, I've recovered. Okay, it's Genesis, Exodus. Genesis ends with, if you know that book, um, if you've been a Bible in a year plan person, you've read the book of Genesis every year, um, and you've read half of Exodus every year. Back in Genesis, uh, so Genesis ends with the descendants of Abraham living in Egypt, and they're living there as welcomed guests. So Joseph, who was the son of Jacob, who was the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham, saved Egypt from a great famine. And in return, the king of Egypt uh, welcomed his family in and they took refuge there and they lived off of the land. Now, something to note is back when God was establishing his covenant with Abraham, back in the very beginning of all of this, in Genesis 15, he says something to Abraham that comes into play here. So when he's establishing his covenant, he tells Abraham, I'm going to be the God of you and your descendants after you forever. It's going to be an unbroken covenant. I will take you as my own. I will keep you. I will love you. And in that process, he says, your, your sojourners are going to be, your offspring are going to be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. 
and they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation they serve. Exodus picks up at the end of that 400 years. So that's what's happening. So his, Abraham's descendants have all moved to Egypt because of a famine. They've grown as a people group. A dynasty has changed. A new pharaoh is in place. He doesn't recognize Joseph's legacy. He doesn't even remember Joseph. All he does is he looks at these people, these Hebrew people, and he sees how they're great in number and they keep multiplying and he begins to fear them. He begins to fear that they could rise up and they could take over if something isn't done. And so in Exodus chapter 1, you read a really somber story. And that is the Pharaoh looking around at the people of Israel and saying, to head off an insurrection, we need to enslave them. And he tells the taskmasters, make their lives miserable. Make it just bitter, bitter. Break their spirits. And as this happened, Israel continued to grow and grow and grow. Babies were born, lots and lots of babies. And so Pharaoh told the midwives, whenever a Hebrew son is born, kill it. And the midwives feared the God of Israel. And they just didn't do it. They, they, they said no. And in that process, there was, another, there was a rush of Hebrew sons being born. So Pharaoh had a plan, and it's now backfiring. And so what he does is he commands his people, round them up, round up the Hebrew infant sons, and throw them into the Nile. And that is one of the saddest moments in the Bible. There are several. There are many, actually. This is a really sad one. This idea of babies being taken and thrown into the river... And so when we come to today's text, Israel has now increased in number, they've also increased in their drudgery, and they've also increased in their sorrow. And there's a couple, so what's happening now in this passage? Well, there's a couple from the line of Levi. Uh, Levi is going to become the priestly line. They're not the priestly line yet, but they're going to become that. And they have a son, and he's a healthy son, and he's growing, and he's great, And they keep him hidden for as long as they can, but they reach a point where they can't hide him any longer, and so they're faced with this terrible choice. It's a terrible choice. Imagine Moses' mother having to make a choice like this. Imagine her having to look at her son and think, how do I keep you alive? And in order to keep him alive, she has to do the unthinkable. I think of that moment in Genesis when Abraham takes Isaac to sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. And I always think about that story and I imagine it and I wonder, here's where my mind goes, I wonder how many knives did Abraham own? Surely he had more than one knife. If Abraham had more than one knife, how did he choose the knife? to take with him to Moriah to sacrifice his son. The choices, the things that people do, 
it's, it's unthinkable. Moses' mother is having a moment like this where she's, she's holding a basket and she's coating it to make it waterproof so that she can put her child in it. But she had to do it because Hebrew kids were cast into the Nile to die in its currents and in its crocodiles. The Nile banks were lined with these stands of reeds. And in those reeds, there were no crocodiles or currents. And so you could put a child there. And in places where people would come to bathe, you could put a child there. And that child was very likely to be discovered. And so that's what they did. They abandoned the child to the state so that it would be found. That river was designed to bring death. But it delivered not only this child, but it delivered all of Israel from tyranny. Got a little emotional there. Okay. So Moses' sister is the one who does it. She sets him in the reeds, and then she retreats to a little bit of a distance to watch and see what happens. And Pharaoh's daughter comes to bathe, and she sees the boy, and she takes pity on him, and in her mind races ahead, and she imagines herself mothering this child. And, Pharaoh's, or, and, and Moses' sister steps out, and says, you know, what's going, what you got there? You know, and it says, uh, hey, w- would you like me to try to find somebody to nurse this child for you? And she says, yes. So that's to raise this child as a child. And she says, okay. And who does she go to get? Moses' mother. She gets Moses' mother. So Moses' sister takes the boy back to his own mother under the guise that this Hebrew woman would come and nurse, would become his nurse for Pharaoh's daughter. Now, there's a little bit of humor here. I always like to notice where there are places of humor in Scripture because it's there. And one of the ways we know it's there is because a lot of the biblical tradition was to tell the story rather than to read the story. And so it was much more common for people to, uh, for, for there to be an oral tradition than a written tradition. And so imagine this story being told. Imagine the story being told and you get to this part. There's no way you get to this part and there isn't grandiose gesture and a lot of laughter. Because it's a terrible moment. It's a tragically sad story. And yet, even though it is that, it shifts from Moses' mother trying to hide her son from Egypt to the Egyptians paying Moses' mother to raise him. And what's crazy about that is this little turn of events guarantees two things for Moses and his family. One, it guarantees provision for them. So they're provided for. But not only that, it also guarantees the full protection of Egypt for their family. So in this act of placing Moses in the river, 
Moses' mother secures provision and the full backing of the full power of Egypt to protect that family. And not only that, but there's one other glorious implication, and that is that this arrangement with Moses' mother as his nurse also gives his family critical time to raise him to know the God of Israel. I mean, as they say across the pond, brilliant, right? It's just crazy. It's, it's amazing what happened here. So Moses is raised as a Hebrew before he is sent to live as a member of Pharaoh's royal court. What does he carry? He carries a secret, doesn't he? He carries a secret. When the child went to live in the house of Pharaoh, Pharaoh's daughter named him Moses. Okay, Bible nerds, lean in. The name Moses in Hebrew means drawn out. The name Moses in Egyptian sounds like the word son. So, let's put it together. Think about it. Moses is drawn out of the people of Israel to become a son in Egypt. And that is a picture of the gospel. That is a picture of the gospel because Jesus was drawn out of one world to become a son in another, right? The son of God is drawn out of the heavenly realm and he's born into a hostile world for the purpose of delivering God's people from tyranny. That makes my head want to explode. But then when you think about the things in your own life where you're like, I don't see a way through this. I don't see how anything good can happen to this. The God that we're dealing with writes masterpieces. He knows what he's doing. And so you can see him at work. He's achieving his design. And he's doing it in the face of terrible, seemingly impossible circumstances. And in those places in your life where you feel like right now you wonder if God is at work, you can know that he is always doing exceedingly more in secret than you can see. So what happens as a result of this? This is how Moses' story begins. And over the next 10 weeks, we're going to really unpack uh, the narrative of his life. We're going to walk through some major events. But what I want to focus on here is the result of the survival of this kid. This child hidden in the rushes. Because what happens with baby Moses happens in the context of a covenant promise between God and his people. God is a covenant God. So what's happening with Moses is only partly about Moses. <laughs> we, we have a baby over here who is on the move and it's fantastic. She's like, I know you're talking about us. God is a covenant God. What God is doing with Moses has to do with a promise he made 400 and plus years earlier. And he's keeping his promises. The people of Israel who suffer under the bitter treatment of Pharaoh, they're the same people, the same people that God promised to call and keep as his own forever. So if you ever feel alone in the world, like no one sees you, imagine how alone Israel must have felt as the Egyptians forced them into submission 
But the covenant that they were a part of, this is the beauty of it, the covenant that we're a part of, it had nothing to do with their military might. It had nothing to do with their national wealth. It had nothing to do with their worthiness of God's love. God initiated his covenant. He initiated it with them. It was his promise to keep. And so we are his by grace. Now, we don't know because we're not told how much the Hebrew slaves knew about their forefathers or what their religious practices were like during that time in Egypt. But what we do know is that they did retain a very distinct identity as a people that made Egypt recognize them as a very distinct people and it made them nervous. But one of the key threads that goes throughout the book of Exodus is the Lord shoring up for his people the knowledge of who he is and how they are to worship him. And so we're going to be getting into that. In this book, God reveals his name. Here, God delivers his law. Here, God gives the Passover. Here, God leads his people home. And it's a picture of the gospel. Because like Pharaoh, Herod tried to do this too. Herod tried to destroy Israel by wiping out a generation of sons, didn't he? We talk about it every Christmas. Here's part of the masterpiece of scripture. As then with Moses, a child was born and a child was hidden. Where did his parents hide him? Egypt. Come on. That's good. That's good, right? Because this place, this place that is known for trying to destroy God's people and thus break God's covenant to call and keep us with an everlasting love was used by God in both instances to preserve his people. So the place that tried to destroy, God made into a shelter. And guess what? God does that all the time. All the time. Okay, one more thing for the Bible nerds, which is me. The basket, the basket covered in the resin. It is at the same time an ark and a manger. It floats on the surface of the water like Noah's ark, carrying God's people's only hope for the future. And like a manger in Bethlehem, it cradles a baby who will deliver God's people from tyranny and evil. Do you think for one second that that symbolism was lost on God? Not a chance. He's telling us wonderful secrets here. Wonderful secrets. And with both the ark and the manger, that basket held the future of God's covenant people in a time when the world was disintegrating. And he preserved it. And here we are. So what does this have to do with you? Three points of application that are going to go quick in closing. Point one, know that God is at work in everything. There's nothing he's not at work in. In ways you cannot see, doing things that may be for the benefit of generations to come, he is at work. And he's working for you right now too. I had this thought uh, 
as I was preparing this, that, that you know, if, if you can see, this is a place where we can see how God had worked in prior generations to provide for this generation in this moment. If you can see ways that God has worked in prior generations to care for you, can you see ways in your own life where God has worked in the past to care for you? Think about that. If you can, and I bet all of us can, I bet all of us can say, okay, here's something that happened generations before, but it has a lot to do with the shape of my life and the shape of my faith. If you can see ways that God has worked in prior generations to care for you specifically today, why wouldn't he be working through you now for the sake of generations that you won't live to know? He's doing things in us and through us now for the sake of generations down the road. And it's his secret, but he's doing it because that's what he does. God is always working for the good of his people. So that's the first one. Know that God is at work in everything. Second, expect it. Expect him to be at work. We all have times in life when forces work against us and they seem bound to prevail, but we can remember that when Pharaoh tried to destroy a generation, more children than ever were born. God is at work. Expect him to be at work. Pray to him as though he is at work because he has never taken a break from you. And he never will. So expect that. And then finally, pray for patience as he works. 400 years. That's a long time. That's a long time. That's how long God's people were enslaved in Egypt. That's plenty of time to feel forgotten. That's plenty of time to pronounce God dead. But as surely as the Lord said to Jacob in Genesis 46.4, I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I will also bring you up again. So will he work all things together for your good according to his perfectly timed will and his good pleasure. Hebrews 6, 11, and 12 says this. We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have a full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. Faith and patience. Faith and patience seem to be always joined forever. But there will come a time when we will no longer need faith, when faith will be replaced with the certainty of being in the presence of the one who promised to call you and keep you and love you forever because of the covenant that he established with Abraham 400 years before the birth of Moses. And so until then we wait, but listen, we wait as people who know a secret when we read these passages. And that secret is this, he's working. He sees the field. He knows what's happening. And he's been working the whole time. And it's incredible. It's a masterpiece. Let me pray. Father, I can't help as I see faces of people in the room and know stories of many people in the room. There are so many, every one of us has a story of things going on in our lives where we didn't know. We still maybe don't know how things are going to end up, how things are going to go, but you do. And so, Lord, would you remind us that you're always at work? Would you give us faith to expect you to be at work? And would you give us patience as you work? to trust that you know what you're doing, even when we can't see. 
Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to be together in this one service with everybody here. And uh, Lord, we ask that you would meet us now as we prepare to come to the communion table. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.